Welcome to She Decided to Run Her Way, a podcast created for female runners wanting to resolve their chronic fatigue and return to their running with more energy. I'm your host, Pamela Otero, a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified running coach, and someone who's personally traveled this path. If you're a woman who's frustrated with not being able to run the way you used to, and you're ready to ditch that energy-depleting fatigue, then sit back, grab your favorite glass of kombucha, and learn how it's totally possible for you. What's up, my friend? Today's episode is the first in a three-part training series called Three Methods I Use to Manage My Energy and Fatigue While Still Being Able to Run. Thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with me today. Now, because I want to make the best use of your time, we're going to jump right into the first method I've been using for years, even before I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and some of my other health issues. Now, if you haven't yet downloaded the workbook I put together for this series, you're going to definitely want to do that because after listening to today's episode and the next two, you're going to need to do some good old calculations in order to begin implementing these three methods and specifically this one that I'll be talking with you about today. So either pause this episode right now and head on over to PamelaOtero.com forward slash workbook to download it or Download it after listening in today. All right? So this first method that I'm going to do a deep dive on is a method that has allowed me to navigate my fatigue while still being able to run, as I've shared with you. And it's a method that I'm pretty darn confident you've already heard about, but maybe you have never considered using it to manage your energy or specifically your fatigue or maybe you never really understood it. And what I'm talking about and what that method is, is heart rate training. Now, if you're someone who does in fact know about heart rate training and you've been using it with your running, I wanna encourage you to continue listening today because I can guarantee that much of what I'll be sharing, you either may not know about or you just may learn how to use it differently than you have been, all right? So today I'm gonna be going over seven key areas that have to do with heart rate training. And those seven areas or those seven objectives are this. Number one, what exactly is heart rate training? Number two, why is heart rate important to your running and managing your energy and your fatigue? Number three, what affects your heart rate? Number four, what are some of the basic terms to know with your heart rate and with heart rate training so that you're able to actually calculate and understand what your numbers mean? Number five, understanding heart rate training zones and the physiological benefits to you when you're training in each of those zones. Number six, how to calculate each training zone, both the low and the high range. And then number seven, I'm going to go over heart rate monitors and the pros and cons to each of those. So those are the seven objectives, the seven areas that I'm going to be going over today in this first part of this three-part training series. And by the end of this episode, my goal 
is that you'll have a pretty comprehensive understanding of using heart rate, how to use it to manage your energy and your fatigue, and you'll know exactly how to go about doing it. All right. So let's jump in with the first objective that I wanted to chat with you about, and that has to do with what exactly is heart rate training? Well, all it is, is a training tool or a method. I like to call it a method to use when you're running or working out so that you're able to measure the effort your body is exerting. It's really just a way to gather real-time data from your heart using your heart rate on the work you are performing. So as your heart muscle contracts, it pumps blood through the arteries and then it relaxes. And it does this over and over and over again, 24-7, right? So when you use heart rate training, you're really just using the number your heart beats, you know, the contraction and relaxation action that's measured in beats per minute, or you'll see BPM, to really track physiologically, you know, the intensity of work that's being performed and how hard your heart is working. So the higher beats per minute your heart creates, or the higher number of beats per minute it beats, the more your heart is working. Now, later in the episode, when I talk about calculating your training zones, you're actually going to be taking a percentage of your maximum heart rate, the maximum number of times your heart beats within a minute to determine those training zones. So you actually have to have your maximum heart rate in order to calculate all of those training zones and both the low and high end within each of those zones. Okay, so if you've always shied away from heart rate training because it seemed complicated or something only hardcore runners use, you know, quite honestly, it's really just a simple method of training to use and to calculate. And all it is, is taking your heart rate, your beats per minute to do that. Very simple. A lot of times I think people want to overcomplicate it or make it seem like it's something fancy. And it's really not. It's been around for years and years and years. And I think everyone should use it, especially if you're someone that is trying to, you know, work through some fatigue and manage your energy so that you don't go out for a run, push yourself too hard, and then end up in bed for days, maybe even weeks because of that fatigue and what you did to your body during that run. All right. So let's jump right into the second objective. And that's um, really, I want to talk with you about why heart rate is important to your running. Why is it important to managing your energy and your fatigue? And, you know, what are the reasons to be using it? All right. So the first, um, you know, the first reason I think that heart rate is important is because it is really one way and a really good way of providing real-time feedback as to how hard your body is working when you're running. And I'll get into that in just a bit, but there are so many things that can impact your heart rate. And one of the reasons that I use it is because when you are feeling fatigue or you have low energy, um, not only can your heart rate sense that, but it really can also help you 
adjust real time in the moment, your pace, when you're running to keep your heart rate lower because of those feelings or what you're experiencing. And I just like that real-time feedback so that in the moment you can make those adjustments, all right? It's also why, you know, sometimes you could be running and although the pace per mile that, you know, your smartwatch is showing you, it seems like a relaxed pace for you, but your heart rate can be telling you something very different. And it can be a good gauge of what's going on internally with your body you know, how stressed your body's systems might be, even if your pace doesn't reflect that. And then the other reason I think heart rate training can be very helpful to your running and to managing your energy and that fatigue is that it can tell you if your body is being stressed from overtraining or it can keep you in check if you're someone who tends to overtrain or overdo it all the time you know, pushing when you really shouldn't and your ego gets in the way. So staying, you know, within a certain training zone using the numbers that you're going to be calculating, those beats per minutes, they really can help rein you in and kind of provide this structure, these boundaries, some parameters if you are somebody that struggles and tends to overdo it often. Okay, I think that's a big one. Now, the other reason I think using heart rate training for your running um, or with your running, I should say, and due to fatigue or low energy is that heart rate training is a really good way at increasing your efficiency when you're running and really help you to manage that energy. I'm all about being strategic, intentional, and efficient. And I think heart rate training really does a good job of doing that. So When you're using heart rate training, you're really able to work smarter and you're able to improve your running economy by working the energy systems that are appropriate for specific types of runs that you do, or more importantly, your current health and your current energy state. Because there are so many runners I know who've been running for years and they still don't understand, they still don't get it, the benefits of exercising and running using their aerobic energy system. They consistently run too hard, too fast, they do too much. They're always in their, um, you know, using their anaerobic energy system. And it's no wonder that they're burned out, they're frequently injured, or they're exhausted all the time. And I hope that isn't you, you know, because as a coach, you know, and with my own running, I really like to approach putting together, creating training schedules in a very, like I said, strategic and intentional way. And I really like to use a combination of things when I'm building out a schedule. I like to use heart rate training zones, which is what I'm talking about with you today. I also like to align that or map that with the appropriate phases of training that you should be in based on um, the distance that you're doing, where you're at in that training plan, and also factor in your current energy, what you have available to you 
in the state that you're currently in, if you decide to actually, you know, train for a particular distance. And I like to kind of factor all that in, map it out um, when it comes to the types of runs, the length of each run, along with the length of the overall training plan. So there's a lot of factors that I like to include and heart rate training zones are definitely one of them. And I include that in my training schedules that I create. And that is actually, you know, one of the reasons why I feel that most of those cookie cutter training schedules online, they really aren't working well for many people. And they might not be working well for you because most of the time they don't give you those details. They're giving you, you know, the number of days per week that you should run and the number of miles, but they're not really telling you how you should be performing those miles. And then what do you do if when you're doing that training schedule or running, you know, that particular distance or that um, workout, how do you course correct and how do you make adjustments? And heart rate training really helps you do that on the fly. All right. Another reason to use heart rate training is that your heart rate, the other cool thing is your heart rate can really tell you if your fitness is improving, if you're becoming more conditioned or if you're regressing or overtraining. Okay, like I mentioned before, you know, for those of you, you possibly might be somebody that pushes too much um, when you shouldn't. And so it's, it's a good way to set those boundaries and have those numbers Um, or have your numbers and you stay within a training zone to kind of keep you in check. But it's also another great way to track your progress and see if your fitness is improving. So some things I want to chat with you about as as it relates to fitness improving or regressing. Um, Your resting heart rate um, is a great indication um, of this improved fitness or this regression. Because normally what would happen um, with your resting heart rate is as your fitness improves, as you get more fit, more conditioned, you should start seeing your resting heart rate fall or decrease. And so if you find that your resting heart rate is gradually decreasing as you're training and you're working through your running program, and let's say you've been training and running for some time, And then you notice that it begins to increase while you're still training at that same intensity or doing the same number of workouts and runs. Nothing really has changed, but you start to see your resting heart rate um, gradually go up. It's really a good time and a great opportunity to check check in with yourself. You know, you really want to ask yourself, are you sleeping enough? Are you hydrating Are you possibly recovering and resting enough between workouts? Or are you under more stress than normal? Because all of these things impact not only your heart rate in general while you're running, but your resting heart rate. So this increase in your resting heart rate could be a sign of overtraining or your body working in overdrive to manage the internal stress that your body is experiencing. You know, our bodies, as you know, our body systems and how they function really are interconnected. They impact each other. They don't work independently. And the stress of one system definitely can impact, you know, 
the other systems. So if you're running in a way that helps strengthen your heart and you're doing it more intentionally and strategically, so it works more efficiently for you, like, you know, doing the things that you should be doing, maybe staying within a particular heart rate training zone to kind of keep those boundaries and keep you in check, along with getting that quality sleep, reducing your stress, making making sure you're recovering enough, hydrating well. And then, like I said, running in that heart rate training zone that's appropriate for your current energy state, your resting heart rate should slowly drop over time and possibly stabilize instead of increasing, right? So aside from heart rate training zones that I'll be talking about and that you will hopefully later go and calculate for yourself, tracking your resting heart rate, in my opinion, is really something that's great to track. Now, I just want to be clear on what resting heart rate means, because I think sometimes people misunderstand it. Resting heart rate is not just what your heart rate is when you're resting in a chair midday. Resting heart rate truly is the first thing that you capture. Let's just say you sleep through the night and you normally wake up at six o'clock and you don't have a blaring alarm that wakes you up, but you check your resting heart rate because maybe you slept with your smartwatch on and all you have to do is calmly sit up and look at what that is, that is your resting heart rate. It's truly at rest. It's what your heart rate is right when you wake up, when you're in a very calm, relaxed, relaxed state, and it's the first thing in the morning, okay? So that's just a little bit about, you know, why I think heart rate, what are some of the reasons and benefits um, of using it and how it's going to help your running, help, you know, manage your energy and that fatigue. But let's move on to number three of the the things I wanted to talk about, because like I said, I just talked a little bit more about the benefits of heart heart rate training and using your heart rate with your running um, and how it's helpful. But you might be wondering, well... Those are some great things, but what are some of the downsides? What might, you know, the cons or the downsides be to heart rate training? And I personally don't think that there are many downsides to it, although I'm going to go through a few things here and you might at the end think, whoa, that's a lot. I still really think there are not many downsides to it, but I, I do think it's important that you know Um, all of the ways in which your heart rate can be affected so that once you do calculate your numbers and you begin to practice using your numbers and training in specific um, zones, that you will also be aware of some of the things, some of the factors and variables that can affect your heart rate because there are some. There are about 10 things that I'm going to just kind of go through here quickly that can affect your heart rate. And this is the thing that um, when people are using heart rate training, and you might be somebody that's been using it, a lot of times people don't know about these factors. And so that's the main reason why I wanted to share it with you. One, if you're new to heart rate training, I think it's important to be aware of this, because this is how you can course correct. But also if you're someone that's been using um, heart rate training as a tool or a method, these might be some things that you're not aware of. And 
um, you could kind of be getting hung up with your heart rate and trying to wonder, you know, what's going on. So the first thing that can affect your heart rate is genetics. Now, I bring that up first because there are some people, I know a handful of them, that naturally have low heart rates or high heart rates, regardless of how conditioned or fit or even deconditioned they are. And usually if you're one of these people, you're going to know. You're going to know if you have an unusually high or an unusually low heart rate, irregardless of conditioning or fitness. And if that's the case, I am going to suggest that you still stay with me, stick around um, with me on this episode training. But next week, I'll be talking about the second method I use. And I really feel that that method is probably going to be more appropriate um, for you if you are someone who has a very low or very high heart rate naturally. Okay. Um, because that is going to drastically impact the calculations that you're going to make in figuring out your training um, zones and uh, getting your numbers. Okay. So the second uh, thing that affects your heart rate has to do with fitness. I've talked about this just a bit, but um, it's also why I really like using heart rate training as a, a tool. I think it's so cool because your fitness your conditioning can be trained and using your heart rate to track that is really, really helpful because you can train it. You can see it. All right. You can train your heart because it is a muscle to get stronger and be more efficient. So what this really means um, as far as how it impacts heart rate is a more deconditioned runner in general, will have a higher heart rate at a specific workload compared to a more conditioned runner at that same workload. So in general, the more fit you are, the lower your heart rate will be, and you'll be able to work at higher intensities with less effort because you've conditioned your heart to work more efficiently. Okay, so this is what's really cool is it can be trained. And by tracking your heart rate, um, especially that resting heart rate that I mentioned, um, you can see improvements and you can use this to track that improvement. The third factor um, that impacts heart rate has to do with age. And, you know, as we get older, our bodies, um, our organs, how we function, they do slow down just because of getting older. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't become healthier and stronger and more fit as we age. I'm just saying that as you age, you know, you don't have the heart of a 20-year-old if, let's say, you're 50, right? You and me, we're not spring chickens anymore, unfortunately. So as we age... um, the likelihood of us, you know, having more damage to our heart increases, um, things like high blood pressure, possibly heart attacks, maybe some arrhythmias, things like that. Um, and then as our heart ages, it beats slower than a newer heart just because of the fact that it's an older muscle. 
um, which is the exact reason why our maximum heart rate will decrease with age. Okay. So that's um, one of the factors that affect your heart rate is your age. Another factor impacting your heart rate is gender. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later when we talk about formulas to use to um, track your, um, to calculate your maximum heart rate. But women tend to have higher heart rates than men because um, we have smaller body frames and we have a smaller heart and our lungs are smaller than men. And this is why um, when we get to that calculating of your heart rate training zones and your maximum heart rate, I'm really going to recommend you use a specific calculation that's specific to women um, and why I'll explain why the other formula you may or may not be familiar with isn't necessarily appropriate for you. But I'll, but I'll get to that a little bit later. So gender does have an impact on our heart rate. And as I touched on earlier, when I talked about your resting heart rate, lifestyle practices um, can directly impact your heart rate. So poor quality and reduced amount of sleep, that will increase your heart rate. Stress, caffeine, dehydration, all of those things increase your heart rate. And mineral imbalances or deficiencies, like those important electrolytes, um, if you have any deficiency or imbalances, that's going to increase your heart rate. Um, heart medications like beta blockers, they tend to decrease our heart rate. Now, if you are somebody that is on a beta blocker, so I want you to come back to me if you're multitasking. I do want you to multitask, but I want you to pause what you're doing. If you are on a heart medication like a beta blocker, it does decrease your heart rate. That's the purpose of it. So I am going to tell you just like I mentioned earlier, if you're someone that has an unusually low or high heart rate, that this may not be the best method for you. I do have two other methods that I'll be talking about in the coming series. But if you're on a beta blocker, I do not recommend you using heart rate training. Um, primarily because beta blockers intentionally lower your heart rate. So calculating your numbers aren't going to be accurate and it's not a safe method to use being on a beta blocker. Okay. So using the second method that I'm going to be discussing next week is going to be the better method for you. All right. Some other things that impact your heart rate have to do with the environment. So heat is going to increase your heart rate humidity is going to increase your heart rate. When you are working out and running, um, your body cools itself by sweating, which you probably know that. But only if your sweat is able to evaporate, right? You're only able to cool your body with sweating if it's able to evaporate. So in humid weather, sweat evaporates more slowly. So your body temperature continues to rise increasing your heart rate. Now, the opposite is true as far as cooler temperatures. Um, cooler temperatures tend to de decrease your heart rate. So just know you might be able to work at harder intensities or higher intensities during the colder seasons. So for most people, cooler temperatures decrease your heart rate and allow you to work a little harder um, in those conditions. Now, you may find if you are someone that 
you know, works a full day and you tend to work out or run at the end of your day, um, you may find that your heart rate is going to be higher just due to exhaustion from the end of the day, or possibly if you're someone that's dealing with chronic fatigue, um, usually at the end of the day, um, People like us, we have higher levels of fatigue as the day progresses. And so you're probably going to notice your heart rate increase. So keep that in mind if you are somebody that um, works out or runs in the afternoon or at the end of a workday. All right. The other thing you want to factor in um, or that factors into heart rate is running at higher altitudes. I live in New Mexico and um, we have very high altitude, so it's it's a benefit, I think. Um, I've just gotten used to living at higher altitudes, running and working out, but um, it does increase heart rate due to the fact that there's less oxygen available because we have thinner air being up at higher elevations. So your heart has to work harder to oxygenate the blood. Um, but the good thing is, is over time, your body does acclimate. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because if you are traveling, let's just say from sea level um, to places at higher altitudes, and either you're doing a race or you are doing a run because you're traveling for work, just know that it, it's not unusual for your heart rate to increase strictly based off of the altitude. So for those of you coming from sea level and you're going to higher altitude places, know that your heart, re heart rate will change and will increase. Um, and again, there is a benefit, you know, for those of you um, like me, if you're somebody who does live at altitude, um, it is nice to travel to sea level um, and do a race or just go for a run. And you may notice that it's just easier to run. You might be able to run faster or further while keeping your heart rate lower than it would be normally at altitude. So that has a big impact on heart rate. Um, and then the last two things I want to talk about um, that impact heart rate has to do with the type of activity that you do and the frequency of your activity or that training. Okay, because it does impact your heart rate. So for example, if you're someone that does high intensity interval training, um, if you are somebody that experiences chronic fatigue, low energy exhaustion, I would highly encourage you to stop doing HIIT workouts. Um, they are uh, more than likely making your fatigue and energy worse. Um, so I don't do any HIIT training anymore, but it does increase your heart rate. If you are, you know, doing trail running, that's going to produce higher heart rates than road running most of the time. Um, and flat runs versus hill, like hilly courses, um, kind of goes without saying, but just know a lot of times when we are using heart rate um, training, we're not really connecting the dots. We just see our numbers and we know our numbers. Um, but we're not really connecting it to what we're running on, where we're running, what we're doing. And so we wonder, you know, why it's higher um, and we get a little frustrated. So keep in mind that the type of activity that you do, it does directly impact your heart rate. And then again, that frequency, if you are a weekend warrior runner, um, you might possibly have a higher heart rate than someone who consistently runs. All right. So... 
that is a lot of factors that could be impacting heart rate, right? And I know it may seem like a lot. Um, I, I think that you know, it is important for me to share this with you because if you decide to use this method, and again, I do believe it's a very valuable and helpful method to use, but I do think it's really important to know what impacts it. I think that's going to be super helpful in troubleshooting those issues when you're running um, and understanding why and how your body is responding by giving you that, you know, feedback in real time with the data, with your numbers, with your heartbeat, um, your heart rate. So, you know, keep that in mind. There are pros and cons. It may seem like um, there are more cons, but I do, you know, want you to keep an open mind and just know that these are things that factor in. And I just think it's another good way to tap into your body and being more mindful and connected to your body, being more aware. So I hope that makes sense. All right, there's so much to heart rate training um, that I, I really think that many people don't know, which is, it's really why I put together this three-part series, and it's why I am digging deeper into the topic. So it may seem um, up until this point like, whoa, that is a lot, um, but I just wanted to give you this comprehensive training, a little bit more education behind it. Um, because I think a lot of people are using it, but they're not understanding um, how it should be used, how things should be calculated, and not using it um, properly. Okay, so that's why I wanted to do this, um, you know, deeper dive into this particular method, but also because this is a method that has helped me tremendously um, with my energy and with my fatigue. So, Let's move on to the fourth thing that I want to talk about. It's some basic terms that I think you should know when it comes to heart rate training. I'm going to breeze through these because I do include them in the workbook um, as it's helpful to really have them readily available when you're doing your calculations. But some of the terms that I think you should know are these. So I talked a lot about maximum heart rate. It's usually um, represented as MHR. And again, this is the maximum number of beats per minute your heart is able to perform. Again, that contraction and relax relaxation of the heart, which allows for that blood to be pumped through your arteries, that beating. Um, I do want to make a note here that this is not to be confused with VO2 max. Okay. VO2 max is a measurement of the maximum amount of oxygen you're able to utilize during intense exercise. But maximum heart rate is just the maximum number of beats per minute your heart is able to perform. Okay. Um, the next term is resting heart rate. It's usually written as RHR. Um, I touched on this earlier. Again, this is the number of beats per minute your heart is able to perform at rest. And again, when I say at rest, I mean when you wake up in the morning, waking up calm in a restful state, you're not jolted out of bed with your alarm. Um, and when it comes to resting heart rate, just know that the average um, resting heart rate, the normal range is anywhere from 60 to 80 beats per minute. And like I mentioned earlier, resting heart rate decreases or falls as fitness or conditioning increases. Um, and again, um, it increases um, 
a lot of the time going from that lower resting heart rate to a higher resting heart rate, that's a sign of overtraining um, or stress of some sort on the body. And if you don't know this already, some top athletes have a resting heart rate as low as 40 beats per minute um, because they are ridiculously fit. But again, many athletes do tend to kind of push themselves a lot. They kind of could put themselves at risk of overtraining and they just might see their resting heart rate start to rise because their body is just plain worn out and tired. So I do believe resting heart rate is something you want to keep track of. I think it tells a lot about what's going on with your body. The next term is the recovery heart rate. This is something that I also think is really um, good to capture. It's just how quickly your body is able to recover after a workout. And it's a good sign of improved fitness or increased conditioning because the quicker you're able to recover um, after a workout, the more conditioned you are getting and the more like more um, fit you are becoming. Okay, so when you are kind of in a more deconditioned state or you're also in a and maybe in a state of low energy or fatigue, you may find that after a run, it takes a while for your heart rate to come down. Okay, and all that is just saying is that your body right now is really struggling um, with, you know, that energy and all sorts of other things, depending upon why you have chronic fatigue. Um, and just know that it may take longer for your heart rate to recover. Okay, but recovery heart rate is something that I think is pretty cool to track. Now, the next three terms are important um, that I'm going to talk about. The reason they're important is because they, I think, are the main players when it comes to heart rate training. Now, the terms I just mentioned, they really have a lot to do with calculating your training zones and your numbers. But these three terms, which are aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, and blood lactate, they have to do with keeping yourself in the appropriate training zones. And so I don't want you to pause or, you know, stop this episode right now because these terms sound a little kind of intense or advanced. Um, it's really important if you decide to use heart rate training as a method to manage your energy and your fatigue, that you really understand aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, and blood lactate. Um, because they're really you understanding that it's going to help keep you in check and keep you working in the appropriate training zones to prevent certain things from happening and prevent you from overdoing it. Okay. So as you know, when it comes to aerobic threshold, all aerobic threshold is, is the point at which blood lactate is produced in the blood. And I'm going to explain what blood lactate is in a second. But the threshold, the aerobic threshold, um, it usually occurs around 65% of your maximum heart rate. And all it is, is the point at which blood lactate starts to be produced in your blood. And that usually happens at 65% of your maximum heart rate, that particular number, you're going to calculate what 65% of your maximum heart rate is. So you're going to know what that number is. And in general, that's when blood lactate is starting to be produced. So when you're able to stay aerobic, when you're able to use your aerobic energy system, 
and train in those specific training zones. You're really able to prevent blood lactate from building up so much that your body can't clear it quickly enough. Okay. It is something that's normal that is produced when we run. It all just comes down to how quickly you can clear it, how quickly it builds up, um, and that sort of thing. So when it comes to anaerobic threshold, this is the point at which that blood lactate exponentially increases in the blood. And this usually occurs around 85% of your maximum heart rate. Now, When blood lactate exponentially increases in the blood, you are probably going to fatigue pretty quickly. You're not going to be able to run for much longer just due to the body's inability to remove that blood lactate quickly enough from the body and away from the muscles. Okay. And this is really important because, um, as I talk here in a bit about blood lactate, it's going to make make sense to you. But all those two things mean is an aerobic threshold is when it starts to be produced. And then anaerobic is when it exponentially starts to be produced in an amount that's difficult for the body to, to kind of get it out of its system and away from the muscles. All right. So what exactly is blood lactate? Okay. You have probably heard of the word lactic acid, and it's often used interchangeably, but all blood lactate is, or lactate, it's just a chemical produced in the body when glycogen is broken down. That's all it is. And the way in which lactate is different from lactic acid is that lactate is um, lactic acid minus one proton. Okay. And lactate, like I said, um, it's just something that naturally is produced in the body when glycogen is broken down. And when lactate is produced, and I think this is really important because a lot of times, um, you know, you might be somebody that thinks that the reason that you get fatigued or the reason that you bonk or the reason that you can't keep going has to do with this lactic acid built up in your muscles. And it's actually due to something else. So when lactate is produced in the blood, it's also produced with hydrogen ions. So every time a lactate molecule is created, a hydrogen ion is created. And it's actually the high concentrations of those hydrogen ions in the blood that cause the muscles to become too acidic and to stop contracting and performing work. It's not necessarily that lactate, it's the hydrogen ions that build up, okay? So you might be wondering, well, is it bad? Because you've heard people say, oh, you don't wanna experience lactic acid or lactate buildup. No, it's not bad, it's a normal process in the body when you're working at higher intensities um, to fuel the muscles. And because the body lacks oxygen because you're working um, in that anaerobic energy system, you're lacking oxygen to convert your stored fat to fuel. When you're working at higher intensities, it shifts and recruits glycogen, glycogen stores, and it converts that glycogen into fuel for the muscle. 
muscles. So nothing's wrong with working the body at these intensities, um, you know, when it's appropriate. And if you are someone that's not experiencing fatigue or you haven't been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, um, because when you do work at higher intensities, you're just training your body to do a better job at functioning and managing these byproducts um, that are being produced in the blood and the muscles and kind of clearing them out of your system. But if you are somebody that's dealing with fatigue, you really don't want to get to the point where you are producing um, excessive amounts of this blood lactate and these hydrogen ions. Um, but it's also uh, the other thing about uh, blood lactate, it's also the reason why training in specific heart rate zones at appropriate times and keeping your heart rate at a specific percentage of maximum heart rate is really going to help you to convert fat stores for fuel, which is in greater supply than converting glycogen stores for fuel, which, which are limited because you only have so much glycogen, which is stored in the liver and the muscles. And there's a little bit floating around at all times in your blood. So if you've ever bonked in a race or during a run, more often than not, it's because you've either depleted your glycogen stores or you were producing too much lactate in the blood and you weren't able to quickly and efficiently move it out of the body and away from the muscles. And then that's why you experienced that bonking or that feeling. Okay. I hope you're still with me. I know there's a lot of information, right? Well, I just know that, you know, like I said, this is, this is um, part one of a three-part training s series. I just want you to know that today's episode, it's the longest and probably the most intricate of the three methods. Um, and so over these next few episodes, just know that this is the longest one. So um I just love, I love talking about heart rate training. There's so much to it. I don't expect you to retain all of what I'm sharing on the first go round, which is exactly why I thought it'd be fun to teach this on a podcast, because you can always pause this episode. You can come back to it later. You can listen straight through and then come back and repeat sections of it, um, you know, going through fast forwarding or increasing the speed on your audio. I do it all the time when I'm listening to heavier types of content on podcasts that I enjoy. So always feel free to take a break from this episode, break it up into chunks if that's easier to retain. And that's, that's the beauty of podcasts. So moving right along, I want to talk about the fifth um, area that has to do with heart rate training. And it's really all about the nitty gritty um, of training zones and the physiological benefits of running in each training zone. Now, I do want to let you know that when it comes to heart rate training zones, I'm using the American College of Sports Medicine's recommendation on these zones. Um, up until 2022, I was a certified ACSM personal trainer for eight years, and I really like to go with their recommendations but um, also because these heart rate training zones that I'm going to be talking with you about, they were the first to be used um, and created back in 1977. Now, if you're not familiar with Polar, um, they are a company in Finland, and they were the one that invented the first ever wireless heart rate monitor back in 1977 um, and really 
kind of got the ball running with using heart rate training and these heart rate training zones. So when I talk with you about the formulas to use for calculating your zones, I'll explain that a bit more um, in a little bit, but I'm also going to be talking with you a little bit later about Polar and some other things that have to do with their invention of the heart rate monitor and these, um, one of the formulas that I'm going to share with you in a bit. But just know um, that I use Polar's um, five training zones. I do think that they are the most comprehensive. Um, on most smart watches, um, you are going to most of the time see five training zones and they're usually color coded. I'll talk about that just in a bit. Um, but just know that when I'm talking about heart rate training zones for each training zone, there is a low end and a high end within a zone. And the high end zone is of one zone is the low end of the next as you progress from zone one up to zone five. So for example, um, if I was talking about zone three, the high end of zone three is the low end of zone four. And that's all that I mean. So there is some overlap. And this will make better sense when you sit down to calculate your training zones and your numbers, and you have kind of that visual in front of you. So when it comes to zone one, um, that's going to be 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate. Um, it's usually a very light blue on the heart rate training zone chart and on many smart watches. Um, if you are somebody that uh, pays attention and has a training schedule that's built out into mesocycles or to, into phases, zone, run, zone one is really your active recovery phase of training. And so this is going to be either a complete rest day or a very, very light activity day. Now, some of the physiological benefits of being in zone one are this is where muscle repair takes place. This is when you are refilling those glycogen stores that you possibly depleted. You're giving your ligaments and your tendons and your joints an opportunity to rest and you're also able to really mentally reset and recharge. So zone one is hugely valuable, and there are some great physiological benefits of being in zone one. And again, it's 50 to 60% of your maximum heart rate. When it comes to zone two, that's going to be 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. It's usually going to show up as a slightly darker blue on the um, heart rate training zone chart and on many smartwatches. This is often, zone two is often called the endurance zone. And when it comes to um, phases of training, this is the base building phase of training. Okay. And like I mentioned earlier with that aerobic threshold, um, the point at which that blood lactate starts to be produced in the blood, that's going to happen in zone two because that happens roughly at about 65% of your maximum heart rate. And zone two is anywhere from 60 to 70% of maximum heart rate. Okay. So the physiological benefits of running and being and working in zone two is you are able to break down and oxidize your fat stores for fuel. It really does help improve your circulation. And one thing that I think is hugely valuable is that during zone two, when you're training in zone two, it's going to build stronger, more efficient 
capillary pathways that are responsible for transporting that oxygen to those working muscles of yours. So during zone two, you're really creating more pathways, more capillaries, and they are becoming more efficient at getting that oxygen to your working muscles. The other thing is, is during zone two, um, you are working on moving that blood lactate out of the body efficiently in a controlled kind of manner. Um, It helps working in zone two helps build your respiratory fitness. So strengthening your lungs and your diaphragm. It also is a time where you're going to be building injury resistant bones, your joints, your ligaments and your tendons. Um, And then it's just going to really help strengthen your heart's ability to pump oxygenated, oxygenated blood to your working muscles. Zone two is really, really critical. Now, as we move into zone three, that's going to be 70 to 80% of your maximum heart rate. It's going to show up green on the training heart rate zone chart and on many smartwatches. It's also considered the endurance zone like zone two. Um, Zone two, normally, um, like I said, you're in the base building phase, but when it comes to zone three, you will be both in the base building phase of training and moving into that threshold phase of training when you're working in zone three. Now, some of the physiological benefits, they're pretty much the same as zone two, but what's even better about zone three is it does continue to improve your body's ability to manage and clear that blood lactate away from your working muscles. And then it's also going to start recruiting and strengthening your slow twitch muscle fibers that are really required for longer duration running. So zone three is also a really important um, zone. As we move into zone four, this is going to be 80 to 90% of your maximum heart rate. It usually shows up as orange on your smartwatch or the training heart rate zones. This um, zone, usually you will be working in this zone if you're in the threshold phase of training or the peak phase of training. Um, And this is where that anaerobic threshold kicks in that I mentioned earlier. This is when that blood lactate is produced exponentially and it gets harder and harder to clear it from the body and get it away from the muscles because you're working at such a high heart rate in this zone. Now, some of the physiological benefits of working in zone four, because there are some, is learning to tolerate higher concentrations of blood lactate circulating through the blood um, and in the muscles. Again, specifically those hydrogen ions um, without fatiguing. So in zone four, that blood lactate is increasing. You are trying to rid it from the body um, without fatiguing. So for if you're somebody that wants to you know, prepare your body for race day if you enjoy actually racing. Um, working in zone four strategically in the threshold phase of training and the, p- the peak phase of training, um, you're going to have an opportunity to learn how to hold a higher intensity or a faster pace for longer amounts of time. Um, and then during this zone, you are increasing um, activity with um your uh, motor units working together to contract a single muscle. 
Um, You're recruiting all of your muscle fibers during this zone. And this is really the zone in which your sympathetic nervous system is um, currently, you know, is being stressed. So it's your fight or flight um, kind of zone. So your sympathetic nervous system is going to be kicked in. You you are nowhere near your parasympathetic. That's going to be more in your zone one and bottom of zone two. Um, So you do need to be cautious working in zone four because you're working at higher intensities. Now, last of the the five zones is zone five. That is 90 to 100% of your maximum heart rate. It's usually red on the chart and on many smartwatches. And usually if you are training in zone five, you are probably in your fe- your peak phase of training. You're getting ready um, to prepare for a race right before you taper. Um, I will tell you that working in zone five um, puts you at an increased risk of injury and you're only able to work at zone five for very intense and short amounts of time. And it's very uncomfortable to be here. Okay. Now, some of the physiological benefits of zone five is it does develop speed and it does a great job of training your fast twitch muscle fibers to work. And again, it does prepare the body to tolerate a greater amount of stress on the ligaments, tendons and joints and bones um, and really just kind of prepare your body for that faster running and more of that impact on your body when you're running. So, I do want to say here that when it comes to managing your energy and fatigue, especially if you are someone that is dealing with chronic fatigue, I really, really want to emphasize I've gone through these zones, all five of them explained a little bit about them, but I really want to encourage you if you are somebody that wants to use heart rate training as a method to manage your energy and fatigue, that you really stay within zones one to three at all times. And more than likely, it's going to be one, two, and the lower end of three at all times. Um, Because depending on your current energy state and how depleted or fatigued you are, you may only be able to tolerate hanging out in zone one or zone two. And you may find that if you try to push yourself too much, um, your heart rate may quickly increase and you may quickly move into um, heart rates that are more reflective of zone four and five. Okay, and this is exactly, this is why, you know, I really wanted to share this with you. It's exactly how I've been able to manage my fatigue, you know, to some degree and still be able to run with my health issues um, because I have intentionally stayed within zone one, two, and the bottom of zone three. And I will say, um, I think I've shared this on one of the last few episodes, um, over the years, depending on my state of fatigue where I'm at for any given day or week. Um, There are often times where I've walked in order to keep my heart rate in zone one or two, or I've had to reduce the number of runs per week to only one or two a week with lots of of rest and recovery built in. And having a way, you know, to monitor your numbers and be, um, what's the word? Uh, let me see here. How do I want to say this? Having a way to be able to monitor your numbers, be very strategic with your training um, during times of low energy or fatigue. Um, it's really going to be helpful to keep you from, you know, doing too much, 
pushing yourself too hard, letting your ego get get in the way, and then being taken out for days and sometimes weeks be, because you've pushed it. So, you know, please keep in mind um, when you begin experimenting and implementing um, using this with your running um, and other activities that it is something that you are going to have to um, modify and just be very mindful of and just see how your body responds as you use this method and as you kind of um, work through your runs, okay? So you're probably wondering, how do you go about calculating your training zones? And as I talk about this, um, you know, I'm not going to go into literally walking you through how to calculate them. That's what the workbook is for. But I do want to talk with you about um, the different types of formulas and, and what you need in order to calculate your training zones, those five that I just mentioned. Um, in order to calculate your training zones, you need to calculate first your maximum heart rate, like I mentioned. And there are lots of different formulas, you know, out in the interwebs that can be used to calculate them. There are a lot of people in the running industry that have formulas. They have a specific one that they like to use. They don't even necessarily use the five training zones. Um, whatever you decide to use, whether it be three zones or five zones, um, one of the formulas I'm going to suggest for you or another one, just be consistent um, so that you're always using the same formula. You're always working with the same zones and you're being consistent. Okay. Now, because there are lots of them, um, I do think, you know, there's pros and cons to each of them. And so I'm just going to offer you today um, a couple formulas, um, one specifically that I recommend and one that I don't. Um, but I do want to let you know that there are quite a few out there. And it's always important to look at um, the studies that were used and how they formulated and came up with that formula or that calculation, because that is really important. So the two formulas that I'm going to explain today to you um, are Haskell and Fox, that formula, and the Gelati formula. And hopefully you'll see why I'm explaining these two specific formulas in a moment. But what's critical for you to know when using a formula to calculate your maximum heart rate, because that's where we have to start first, is that you're using one that's been derived or is representative of a general healthy population or a population that is most similar to you. And as I mentioned earlier, when I explained some of the factors that affect heart rate, gender being one of them, women tend to have higher heart rates than men because of their smaller body frame and having a smaller heart and smaller lungs. And I bring this up again here because as I explain these two formulas, not only will I share the pros and cons of each, but I'll also touch on which one I prefer and why using the one that's more appropriate for women, um, that would be you, um, why I think that is important. Okay. And more than likely, um, if you're already using heart rate training as a tool or a method with your running, um, more than likely you're not using a formula that's specific to you as a female runner. 
Okay. But before I go into those two formulas, I do want to let you know that if you're considering using this heart rate training method with your running, whether that is to manage your energy and your fatigue or just for running efficiency, it is important to make sure to use the custom feature on your smartwatch to enter your calculated numbers, your training zones, once you calculate those, instead of what that smartwatch spits out for you. Now, if you remember back when you set up your new smartwatch, you know, whether it's a Garmin or a Polar or some other watch, if you remember, they probably had you enter some basic information into the watch, your age, your fitness level, and the amount of activity that you do. And from that basic information, the watch already had programmed a simple formula that calculated your maximum heart rate and then in turn calculated your training zones, okay? And that simple formula is the one I'm gonna be talking about first and the one I personally don't recommend using. So again, if you have a smartwatch, I want you to look in your manual and find the feature to override that and set up your custom um, training zones and plug in your calculated maximum heart rate instead of using what your Garmin or your Polar or whatever watch you have has already set up for you, okay? So earlier in the episode, I briefly mentioned the company Polar that is out of Finland and how you know they had invented the first heart rate monitor back in 1977. Well, that invention by Polar quickly followed after the first heart rate formula was derived. And the two physicians that came up with this first heart rate formula, they were named Haskell and Fox. And they did this back in 1970. Now, Dr. Haskell was a physician in the federal public health system, and he and his mentor, Dr. Fox, they led a program on heart disease. Now, while running that program, they realized they had a critical need with their cardiac patients to be able to monitor their heart rate while working with them to keep them safe while they were exercising. But at the time, there was nothing available to them to be able to do that, to, to capture that or measure that. So what they did is they decided to gather up some data from various published studies in the public health research world. And from those studies and the data, they found a way to create a way to measure and monitor their patients' maximum heart rates. Well, from all those various studies that were performed, now these studies, it's important for me to point out, they were performed on mostly smokers with and without heart disease, mostly men under the age of 55 who were not um, individuals that exercised at all. And from those various studies, and these were the um, individuals in the study, they devised a formula that you're probably well aware of, which is 220 minus your age. Now, at the time, Haskell and Fox were really trying to create something for their program with their patients. You know, what they developed was never meant to be used 
as a representation of the general population. But around that same time in 1977, Polar had invented that first heart rate monitor. And from what Haskell and Fox kind of pulled together, the 220 minus your age in 1970, somehow this, um, with the invention of the heart rate monitor and this newly created formula, um, although again, it was not meant to be used with the general healthy population, it entered into the medical world as the formula to use and the guide to follow for heart rate training. And since then, unfortunately, it's still one of the most popular formulas people are using and the formula that most smartwatches are using to calculate maximum heart rate and therefore calculate your training zones. So I share this backstory because it's important to see you know, the downside or the cons to using this formula. Not only was it derived from various, um, from smokers with heart disease under the age of 55, mostly men who didn't exercise, but it's not representative of a general healthy population. And it's also not representative of women. And because of those reasons and why I wanted to share this with you, um, I really would highly recommend against using this formula to calculate your maximum heart rate. Now, I will say that I do think there is a good time when I would recommend using it. And it really has to do with people that are wanting to use heart rate um, or heart rate training Um, people who are very deconditioned, and people who have serious medical conditions. That's probably the only time that I would recommend somebody using 220 minus your age. Because from a safety perspective, I think it's it's a simple formula to calculate maximum heart rate. Um, It's pretty conservative and cautious, but it really is not representative of a general healthy population, and it's definitely not representative of women, considering um, the fact that we are very different from men. Okay. So that's the first formula. I'm, you know, it's the Haskell and Fox formula. A lot of pe- a lot of times people just say 220 minus your age. Um, the second formula and the one I personally use and I recommend you using is the Gelati formula. And it's spelled G-U-L-A-T-I. Now, Martha Gelati is um, or was an assistant professor of medicine and preventative medicine, and a cardiologist at Northwestern Medicine. Um, She developed this formula back in around 1992 out of a study uh, called the St. James Women Take Heart Project. Okay. And it was a study that was performed on 5,437 healthy women, ages 35 and older, And these women participated in the study. And from that study, she was able to create this formula. Okay. Now, one, what's important um, is understanding the the number of women the study was done. Done on 5,437 healthy women, 
ages 35 and older, um, is a pretty nice sample size to capture data off of in a study. Okay, they usually call that N equals 5,437. So having a higher N value is really, really important. Okay, so she came up with this study or she put, she put these women through this study and she came up with this formula, the gelati formula. And the thing that I really appreciate about her study and her formula is that she felt strongly about studying women to get data that's applicable to women. And she thought that it was so important to just not be complacent by using data that was gathered on men and then just applying it to women and just assuming that women are the same as men. They're not, right? We're clearly not the same as men. We're not small men. So her formula um, is the one I would recommend. And what it is to calculate your maximum heart rate is 206 minus 88% of your age. Okay, so you calculate 206 minus 88% of your current age to get your maximum heart rate, okay? Now, what I've done in the workbook that you've downloaded or that you will download is I have put in there both formulas, the Haskell and Fox and the Gelati formula. Um, And I've provided space for you to calculate your maximum heart rate and then calculate your training zones for each of those formulas and really be able to see the difference between the two. Okay. And then in the workbook, I do walk you step by step um, on how to calculate your training zones, both, you know, zones one through five, um, the lower end and the top end. So, you know, take some time later this week or today to do that. Um, and that way, you know what your actual numbers are, you know what your training zones are, and um, you know what heart rate range um, you need to keep yourself in when you are running, working out, doing other things, okay, that might kind of tax your body. All right. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about before I wrap up this part one of this three-part training series has to do with heart rate monitors themselves. Okay. Um, You might be wondering, okay, Pamela, all this information is great, but I don't have a heart rate monitor. I don't even know where to start. Um, So I'm going to briefly go over that. It's not going to take too long, but you might already have a smartwatch, you know, with a built-in heart rate monitor. Um, But again, if this method of training and managing your energy and fatigue is new to you, um, I, I really wanted to cover this because Um, I do think it's important, and I also don't think everybody knows about it. And so I wanted to make sure you are well aware of the differences in heart rate monitors and which one might be better for you, okay? So what are the best heart rate monitors? Um, You might be thinking, what should I get? Well, in my opinion, the best one is the one you'll use and the one you'll be consistent with. So whichever one you decide to use, I highly recommend you stick with that one. Um, Even if you're walking or running on a treadmill, I'd recommend using your own heart rate monitor instead of the one that's built into the cardio equipment. Okay, being able to track your heart rate on the same device is very, very important. So when it comes to heart rate monitors, you have either the old school chest strap or the optical wrist. 
And the optical wrist is really the ones that are just built into your smartwatches. Okay. When it comes to accuracy between those two, neither of them are going to be spot on because any non-invasive sensor, which is what these heart rate monitors are, they're always going to have some sort of issue. Okay. But both heart rate monitors, whether it's the chest strap or the optical wrist, they have algorithms built in to convert what they are reading into an estimated heart rate, heart rate, the number that you see. So when it comes to those chest straps, they, when it comes to accuracy, they tend to have um, less, uh, less lag times. So reduced lag times um, in getting that data and spitting out that number because they're closer to the heart and better positioned on the body to get more data points to then feed you that um, real-time data, your heart rate. And the optical wrist monitor, um, what they're doing, because they're on your wrist and they're not around your chest closest to your heart, they're actually reading your radial pulse, which clearly is further from your heart. So there's going to be more of a lag time in the response and in the heart rate that's being given to you on um, the watch. Okay. So the other thing with optical wrist monitors, heart rate monitors, it can impact accuracy due to also the movement of your arm and the flexing of your wrist. Okay. So just know there are going to be some inaccuracies, but again, I want you to pick one um, don't get hung up on, you know, that accuracy part. As long as you're consistent, um, that is what is most important. They both do a great job, um, but I did want to point out some differences between the two as it relates to accuracy with um, data and information and your heart rate that it's spitting out. Now, when it comes to comfort, you know, that's the other thing you want to factor in. With a chest uh, heart rate monitor, chest strap heart rate monitor, you do tend to or could tend to get chafing. Um, it is very restrictive because it does need to be snug right underneath the breast. And sometimes when you're running and, and how um, snug it needs to be to have that reading, it's really hard to breathe. So from a comfort perspective, some people have a hard time with the chest strap. Other people they don't. So just keep that in mind. And then when it comes to comfort um, on the optical wrist heart rate monitor, it does need to be tight um, for you to be able to capture your data. And so sometimes people wear their running watch a little loose. And so you do want to have your watch somewhat snug um, in order to get a good um, radial pulse. And for running, you know, it might be a better option for you um, because it's on your wrist. Um, and you're able to capture some other things as well as your heart rate. So moving on to the battery life, um, when it comes to the chest heart rate monitor, it's going to have a longer battery life um, and the optical wrist, you're going to need to recharge it often. So, you know, not a lot going on there, but it is something to consider. And unfortunately, a lot of times with um, our smartwatches, they have to be charged pretty often. So just keep that in mind. Whereas the chest strap, it usually has an old school battery placed in it and it lasts quite a long time. But um, I am going to move into the other thing with the chest strap because there are two pieces to the chest heart rate monitor. And 
I do like to throw in the forgettability factor when you're considering what type of heart rate monitor to get, because when it comes to the chest strap, you do have two pieces of, of equipment to keep track of. You have the watch because you still have a watch part, and then you have the strap that goes underneath your breasts closest to your heart. So there's two pieces of equipment to keep track of, and a lot of times people forget their chest strap, but they have their watch. So that's one thing to think about. But, you know, with the optical wrist heart rate monitor, you only have to worry about the watch. Okay. And then when it comes to price, um, the chest um, heart rate monitor is going to be cheaper, usually under 100 bucks, a lot of times under 80. Um, optical wrists, they're going to be costing more, anywhere from 200 to $800. But the nice thing is it does pair with a lot of different apps and you can get more data and then you can also plug your watch into your laptop or your desktop and you're able to download a lot of your stats if you're somebody that likes to track all of that. So, you know, whichever one you decide to use, really just think of all of those things. And again, the best one is the one you're going to use and the one you're going to be consistent with, okay? You know, using heart rate training as a tool with your running It's going to take time to get familiar with it, to get familiar with your heart rate monitor, to get familiar with your heart rate training zones, and really just to experiment it, experiment with it. So give yourself some time. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you know, my goal for this training is really to leave you with a pretty comprehensive understanding of using heart rate to manage your energy, to manage your fatigue. And give you the information so you'll know how to actually use it, calculate it, implement it. All right. And, you know, I want to just wrap things up with a key, a few key points um, that I'll reiterate and leave you with. Um, You know, if you're struggling with chronic fatigue, diagnosed or not, if you're feeling like your energy is super low, and it's making your running difficult or not very enjoyable, I'd really like you to consider using this method, heart rate training as a method moving forward. Okay, I'd also like you to consider keeping yourself in zones one to three and not letting your heart rate, possibly not letting your heart rate get past the low end of zone three You know, I'd also like you to um, recognize that even if your pace per mile while you're running seems really relaxed, but your heart rate is exceeding the bottom of your zone three, you may want to move into a walk until your heart rate comes down. You may want to relax your pace even more until your heart rate drops or you just might want to consider heading back home to rest because our bodies are super smart. And really one of the huge benefits I think of heart rate training is that it offers you a way to connect with what's going on inside your body and be more aware of other factors that might be at play that could be causing higher heart rates. Your heart rate more than likely is telling you something about other areas in your life, about your health, outside of just your running. 
Okay. I hope you found this training helpful and insightful. I know it was a long training. It's the longest of this three-part series. If you haven't yet snagged the workbook, please go to PamelaOtero.com forward slash workbook and snag it. I really look forward to hanging out with you next week for part two of this three-part series. And if you have any questions about what I shared, please don't hesitate to email me. I really would love to help you through this process and get you to using this method and um, experimenting with it. All right. Okay. All right, friend, until next week, go grab those running shoes, lace up and go enjoy the beautiful outdoors. <laughs>